Should we start again? Well, I can wait, edit do we it. Do, wait, wait, do we do the intro or do we? Yeah, do I suddenly realised I'm I'm orange. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the This Because podcast. I'm Katie and I'm Zoe, and we're brand strategists, social entrepreneurs, and friends exploring how the way we live and work impacts the people on the planet around us. This podcast is an open conversation about values and ethics, sustainability and purpose, brands and business. Hello. First, thank you to everyone who listened last week, our inaugural episode. And thank you to those who took the time to send over your thoughts. They're really helpful and also really motivating. It wasn't a disaster. So uh, we're back and I think we'll keep going. Yeah, we're pretty pleased. Um, So first things first, after last week's Mindful Marketing episode, there was actually something I came across, I think it was yesterday, it was definitely this week on LinkedIn. Um, And I thought it might be helpful to share straight away. And it was from Patagonia, the outdoor clothing brand. Um, And I actually might read it word for word. Um, I'm notoriously terrible at reading aloud. I was was the kid at school that when the English teacher said, oh, we're all going to read a paragraph each, I would just look around and count the number of people before me so I could at least know how long my paragraph was. So super anxiety. So I'm um, I'm a negative height woman to myself now. I've actually made myself more now. You've got this. (laughs) But anyway, here goes. So Patagonia shared on LinkedIn to their 581,892 followers um, this statement. Patagonia stopped all paid advertising on Facebook platforms in June 2020 because they spread hate speech and misinformation about climate change and our democracy. We continue to stand by that boycott 16 months later. This decision has affected our business and the environmental nonprofits that we support, whose campaigns benefit from the social media amplification that we fund and execute. But we have learned to adapt. We are smarter and savvier in how we grow our community as a result of this advertising ban. The internal Facebook documents released over the last few weeks have made it incredibly clear that they know the irreparable damage that their lack of accountability causes their 3 billion users and the corrosive effects that it has on society. Facebook's leadership knows what steps it can take to mitigate such harm, yet they have repeatedly failed to reform. We believe Facebook has a responsibility to make sure its products do no harm, and until they do, Patagonia will continue to withhold our advertising. We encourage other businesses to join us in pushing Facebook to prioritise people and planet over profit. So I thought it was just worth reading that out from their CEO, Ryan, because I think that sums up a lot of the stuff we were talking about last week, about how it's super powerful when um, a brand actually makes a stand and is kind of calling people, well, first just announcing what the problem is that people might not realise, and then say, this is how we're challenging them, and saying that actually our business, I really like the bit when it's like we are... Uh, where was it? We are smarter and savvier. And actually by having to withhold something, you can think that's very terrifying for a business, but actually they seem to still be doing amazingly well and are just having to kind of put their money where their mouth is and say, if we're an ethical business, we need to challenge these huge juggernaut in communication companies. Um, 
that uh, know what they're doing wrong but aren't necessarily doing anything to change that and so by calling that out that's kind of putting pressure on them so it was just uh, maybe a little roundup of last week to say that there are powerful ways of doing these things and there are lovely companies out there um, actually trying to do something differently and suitably I imagine they will um, Patagonia has always been quite a creative business Mm -hmm. and I think in in doing so you've got a constraint which is a very um values driven constraint Mm -hmm. and they'll innovate in ways that can still get to their their target audience without going on a platform that is what everyone else uses yeah that's so true so there we have it so then this week um we've been sharing a lot between ourselves about carbon um so luckily for me Uh, Katie has a master's degree in environmental science, so uh, I'm slightly off the hook here. I uh, didn't do much listening at GCSE Science, Um, so my carbon um, anxiety and kind of those technical scientific terms uh, normally make me freak out slightly. And GCSE Science for non-UK listeners is the standard you have to do when you're 16. Uh, So I'm double that now, and I don't think my knowledge has... (laughs) doubled in that time but then I was thinking actually double or nothing is not not huge so maybe it has in the last week um so with COP26 approaching um and uh the word carbon being increasingly banded around uh we thought we'd do like a refresher on the terms um in order to try and I guess get ready to help us decipher what nations and leaders and newspapers and reporters are going to be reporting on in the coming weeks um with COP26 um that's a lot of pressure (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to think I did my master's probably as long like quite a long time ago but I have worked you're bringing the credibility you're bringing the credibility (laughs) with a certificate it's fine um but I like I remember uh when I was in a corporate responsibility role years ago and the head of corporate responsibility said to me what does COP stand for Mm -hmm. and I was like oh my god I can't believe you could get a head of sustainability job and not know what COP stands for. And then I was like, oh my God, <laughs> what? Like, first of all, it's such a niche thing. Yeah. Like why, why would you expect people to know what it stands for? But the reality is it comes into the mainstream mm-hmm. and people say it and just know it's, oh, it's this climate thing. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes shorthand for climate yeah. association thing. <laughs> exactly. But I, this week I went down a, a little nerd tunnel. Great. Because, um, I just really like how like policy terms and infiltrate culture and mm-hmm. how it becomes something that starts to get that groundswell to be mainstream and a super nerdy fact. Um, yeah. If you looked at Google search trends this week for what is COP26, they were up 200% over the last week. Oh and then, God. yeah, if you looked at what does COP stand for, that was up 700% over the last week. And then I looked to see if there are any like anomalies based on geography and the UK has the highest search volume, which kind of makes sense because it's host. So COP yeah. is in Glasgow this year. and It's a shame we very... don't know much more before the two weeks before, though, doesn't it? It's a shame <laughs> the UK two weeks before are like, oh, God, what is yeah. happening in Glasgow? And I think I think it's partly driven by the media agenda. So yeah. it's in the press more. Mm-hmm. But my very loose theory is when the press announced that the Queen wasn't going to COP, everyone started googling what is cop to try to understand what kind of party is the queen missing out on oh my god that's so true yeah, yeah they were yeah we're just suddenly like oh the queen was going somewhere she's missing out on a party what party is it 
exactly. so because Queenie has pulled out exactly. everyone's now wondering what that is what she's Public consciousness. what is Lizzie missing what is and what Lizzie is missing <laughs> and who is going if Lizzie isn't who's got her invite exactly so for the record COP stands for Conference of Parties and it is the UN Climate Summit and 26 stands for the 26th time that they're meeting right yeah yeah so the world leaders uh for anyone that is catching up uh COP26 is happening in Glasgow uh, I quite like it. Obviously, it's UK focused, hosted. And then I like it says in partnership with Italy. I think that's always quite nice. You like those <laughs> when you're having national <laughs> partnerships, normally in partnership with a small um, sponsor or something. But yeah, UK are in partnership with Italy and in Glasgow are hosting um, COP26. So from the 31st of October to I think something like the 12th of November. So it's just what, less than 12 days, just less than two weeks. Um they are having a convention of parties. So the parties are uh, leaders, nations, companies, civil society, all coming together um, with the view to accelerate action towards the goals that these parties have already set out. So in very simplistic form, those are normally, I think that is for the Paris Agreement and also the UN framework of Convention on Climate Change. So those are kind of legally binding treaties um, on climate change to basically uh, commit to limiting global warming below two degrees uh, or ideally below 1.5 degrees, I think. Um, and they normally happen on a cycle. So I think the Paris Agreement's every five years. And the plan is you then get increasingly more ambitious as you <laughs> improve what you're doing. Um, but basically like setting a, out how... Hmm? I was just going to say, it's like a group assignment. Group assignment, it's a, yeah. It's like teamwork. Group assignment. Yes. <laughs> group seminar assignment it's like we're all going to do this uh yes. we've said we're going to do it and then we're going to meet occasionally and see what we've done and either probably chastise people who haven't done much i haven't pulled their weight and celebrate those people that have pulled their weight and kind of group share in order to make sure the next meeting is less disappointing exactly <laughs> nailed it yeah so that's what they're doing in the next couple of weeks. Um, and I guess in all of these things, uh, in, in all those agreements, the word carbon is banded about uh, willy nilly. And I think for me, that as a kind of science, scared science person, uh, scared of science? No, just finding it harder, I guess, to um, connect my brain to that. Uh, when you then hear carbon neutral, carbon positive, carbon negative, carbon dioxide, uh, carbon footprint, hydrocarbons, net zero, greenhouse gases, emissions, carbon trading, uh, I tend to switch off um, because I can't, that doesn't feel that tangible for me. Um, and I wonder, I guess we're sort of thinking like if that confusing, if that language is confusing and it feels like it's for some scientists, uh, what are people doing to make it feel more consumer facing or is it intended to be misleading um because actually it's quite helpful for companies and nations to be slightly misleading because actually then no one quite understands their promises um so no one quite understands what doing good or looking good looks like and so then the criticism is um less possibly yeah it is super confusing and i think part of that is like you actually there are actually university courses out there mm -hmm. that are like that are science communication. Yes. That are helping people translate what is what some of these things mean. Because to the average person, you get shamed and guilted into knowing you need to change how you live and work, mm -hmm. but you're not really 
you don't really know why, but you know definitely that recycling's not enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know that one. And you know that one's the one you're meant to do, but again, you're not sure why you're meant to do it. And yeah, you're right, it's not quite enough, but then what else? Yeah, and I think um, we can go through like a primer of like really, mm -hmm. like I don't want to say basic, but well, like... for me, it's very basic. I'll start very basic, <laughs> GCSE basic. <laughs> and you can, um, you can elevate the tone, but first carbon chemical element that's that's what I know so think back periodic table and that we had a funny periodic table song um which I didn't learn and carbon is everywhere as far as I understand um comes in many forms some of those are pure uh, such as diamonds or graphite and then um I believe <laughs> uh, I believe this can then combine with other elements. So that's when you get carbon-based molecules and they're in everything, humans, animals, plants, trees, soil, that kind of stuff. And then some of those carbon-based molecules or greenhouse gases such as carbon dioxide, so CO2 and methane, they all have elements of carbon-based uh, molecules in them, as do fossil fuels, uh, which I think are largely made up of hydrocarbons. So basically carbon is anywhere and everywhere and sometimes more damaging than others. Hence why we then hear hydrocarbons and CO2 and methane and greenhouse gases tend to be the bad ones. Correct so far? Yeah. yeah. Great. <laughs> then just carbon emissions uh, term used a lot, basically how much carbon or is emitted uh, due to natural and human activities. Um, and usually the ones we talk about are the ones that humans are responsible for. So if we're burning fuel, um, digging fuel, mining things, um, and then the carbon footprint within that is kind of then how companies or individuals tend to try to understand how much of their actions are having an impact on carbon. So how much carbon they're using up. And I think this is quite interesting because it is what the whole problem is about, but I couldn't tangibly tell you how much carbon I use for certain parts of my day. So none of it's been connected to uh, consumers. I think some brands are beginning to, but again, it's all done in grams and milligrams and massive kind of uh, sizes and numerical things that actually aren't very tangible for people. But that's what people begin to do it. And I think that's why most uh, slightly cringe eco uh, companies have footprints as their logos. <laughs> you want to know the most Green sinister, sinister thing ever. Yeah. The term carbon footprint was actually invented by Shell. Oh. Because, right? They wanted to um, divert attention from the fact that they were emitting so much. Oh, my goodness. So they created the term to put the onus on individuals so that rather the footprint than was people rather than for companies. And it became this part of culture where everyone yeah. talks about their footprint as though it is an individual responsibility. And I think only now as a society, we're coming around to the idea that it is a collective. And yes. I think it's something like, I'm going to get the stat wrong, but it's something like 90% or no, 70% of the world's emissions are caused by like 15 companies. <laughs> Wow. So that footprint makes it feel like it is communal or it's actually pointing the hand or foot at individuals rather than companies by a company quite cleverly marketing that rather than them pointing it at themselves. Yes. Yikes. It's a bit like, um, I don't know if this is true or not, 
but often I quote it, um, about Kellogg's uh, making uh, the statement or the doctor's statement that uh, breakfast was the most important meal of the day. Um, yeah. Because you can <laughs> you can persuade a whole um, nation or number of nations uh, that that is true. Um, and then you see who's done that and you're like, ah, it actually benefits your growth model. Mm. Yeah. Also, um, I'm wrong. It, it wasn't, <laughs> sorry, it wasn't, no, no, it wasn't Shell. It was BP. BP. So, sorry. Still sorry. an oil company. <laughs> I just got the wrong one. <laughs> the green, the one with the green logo, carbon footprint. Correct. That's how I'm going to remember it now. BP coined the term carbon footprint. Correct. Nice. Yeah. Well, not um, this, Should I... So then, yeah, you can probably, I think that's where my limited uh, terminology uh, primer will end. Over to you. Okay. Well, I'll talk about some of the more technical things. But again, they're not technical. I just think that the language is so inaccessible. Yeah. And it does live in the space where some of the experts and scientists and the people who are trying to measure and make sense of all of this are in. Yeah. Uh, So science-based emission targets, which we'll hear a lot about over the next 12 days, Mm -hmm. um, like it says, they're just aligned with what science is telling us we need to do. Science is telling us we need a two degree global reduction and therefore that is the target and should be the target for organizations and businesses. Um, the, I guess the point about science-based emission targets is these are for reduction and they don't allow a company to use an offset to achieve that reduction. Mm-hmm. And then there's net zero carbon. So this lets companies offset. I'm sure you'll see a lot of like companies that are like the move to zero or net zero carbon by 2035 and, and they'll set these targets. Um, this means that in theory, they can continue to do what they do as long as they're offsetting their activities with taking carbon out of the atmosphere. So one example of this is if they plant trees or they mm-hmm. make op- operational changes, like they introduce new technology and these yeah, net zero carbon is just basically maintaining the status quo, but doing some activities that balance out what you're doing. And then when a company organization says um, they're carbon neutral, it means um, what they're doing is whatever they release is offset by other activities. Okay. Now, yeah. in our realm of work, language gets confusing and it turns into a marketing and comms tool. So carbon negative and carbon positive, which we hear so much of these days, they're the exact same thing, (laughs) depending on the brand. You just choose which word you want to use then, depending on which one you think sounds. Yeah. Yeah. You might think one sounds better than the other, and you might make the decision that you want to be carbon negative or carbon positive, but they're the same. And this means that a company is going beyond net zero carbon, Mm -hmm. And they're trying to create an environmental benefit by removing carbon from the atmosphere or doing other climate-friendly activities. But Mm. that I'm fascinated, like the language use in this and people being saying carbon negative, carbon positive reminds me of when I worked at an organization where they had a, um, they were certified fair trade. Yeah. Fair trade being an independent certification body. And they decided that they weren't going to use fair trade as much, but they decided to create a term that was fairly traded. And to the eyes of the consumer, fairly traded and fair trade, you wouldn't know that one is a licensing body that's independent versus one that a marketing team created. Yes. And 
especially if your marketing team creates a little badge as well that looks kind of like oh okay that's a nod to um accreditation yeah but it's internal accreditation rather than external accreditation yes yes that's yeah so then who does keep checks and kind of balances on those commitments and companies reducing their emissions or is that just basically a free-for-all yeah it's it's pretty much free-for-all there there are a lot of different um standards Mm -hmm. out there so you've got like the carbon disclosure project and this is a database of the world's largest companies that share this data Mm -hmm. although this is voluntary and unaudited Um, there's also pas uh 2060, which is an internationally recognized standard, and the same with ISO 14001, which is mm-hmm. a much more holistic. But again, these these are very much um, they're the way that businesses like approach finance and they do accounting. Yes, there isn't yet a standard for how um, carbon is reported, audited, transferred. It, it's completely independent, and that's why there's definitely nothing that you see on products really that's a standard like a fair trade or an organic certification or a soil association um because i think consumers are quite used to seeing those on packaging now um and so then yeah it's like actually because there's no accreditation uh i've never heard of those names before you mentioned them of those companies um so they are so like internal and therefore maybe not utilized but there's nothing that's like getting through that's so common um that you then see uh, that a consumer can see, okay, that's a shorthand for uh, doing good, or I know that it's been accredited and I know it's been looked into and um, verified. Yes. Scary. Because then I guess I have seen brands and I guess maybe, I don't know, maybe the legislation hasn't caught up, which is why brands are trying to do, they know that that's what their consumers want. So they're trying to do things themselves. Um, and I definitely saw that when I was doing um uh, things for this because originally looking at um, companies uh, and how they might communicate those standards or communicate their desire um, to do something about carbon and I think it was was it Brewdog that came out as the world's first carbon negative beer yeah is that a thing yeah <laughs> yeah I mean again um, and this is where I, I think it's so interesting for us because you and I work at the intersection of like comms and sustainability yeah. but Brewdog came out as a carbon negative beer they I think have a plot of land up in Scotland Mm -hmm. where they're planting trees and doing other activities that are helping foster biodiversity Mm -hmm. regrowth and all kinds of stuff but after they announced that they were the world's first carbon negative beer um, weeks later lots of internal whistleblowers shared amongst other um, many reputationally damaging things yeah and the offsetting work that they had claimed mm-hmm. hadn't begun and so I think ah. yeah there are many brands that include a climate or a carbon proposition in their comms and marketing strategies um, but again because it's it's now seen as like a USP or it's now seen as a point of difference you it's kind of taken for granted like yeah. with shampoo you can't like you legally can't say that this is going to make your hair better you have to verify that with a claim yeah and on like toothpaste adverts you see don't you always on the little star this has been tested and sometimes it's like this has been tested of 80 people but it still yeah. has to have been a sample um yeah. and there isn't that with climate yeah and actually I think you just flagged something there about uh proposition you can have that in your brand's proposition but it's at what point do you make those claims um and at what point do you vote uh voice your um intention 
and make it clear that it's an intention that you're working towards and at what point do you say we are um yeah and so that's I think the dangerous thing that kind of probably happened there is they had this big bold intention and they were starting to do things um but actually it was about taking people on that journey and I guess I have a brand oh yeah go ahead at what point is it all just greenwash yeah (laughs) At what point do you just think, oh, okay, that sounds good, I'll do it, rather than actually thinking someone's had to look into that and it's not just some super creative person that does. It's obviously comes from, well, you hope, comes from a well-meaning place, um, but actually being honest is probably the best policy. So I know an oat milk company um, that I use and I drink, um, and it was quite interesting over the last year, um, so they're called Minor Figures. And over the last year on their website and on their packaging, they have begun to share their intention of um, of this and being able to say uh, that we are talking more about carbon and how, as an organisation, we tackle our emissions. Um, and I guess they there say the intention, um, but also they have a really nice blog post, I think, which was their kind of press announcement on they're now carbon neutral. And again, if we talk about where that means before, that means they are balancing out what they're doing, right? They're not doing more than they need to, but they are saying, as a company, we have this impact and we use this carbon. So we are going to make sure that how we use that carbon and emit that carbon, we will balance it um, out. Um, and so they have the attention, they have this press blog, which actually is quite nice because it doesn't just say this is what we're doing but it also shows the research they went through and the organizations they work with in order to help build this plan so it kind of opens their methodology and their theory which i think is quite generous um to other brands i think it's a bit like we were talking on thoughtful marketing um that it's actually saying okay we know this is important and we are going through this process and this is how at the moment we are um being carbon neutral and our intention um but you can find out more here um which i think is a nice way because uh, it's not saying we've got the answer necessarily and it's not saying we won't change but it's kind of putting your flag in the ground and say we want to do these things we're doing these things in these ways with these organizations who's verified that and we may adjust in the future if that doesn't become the right solution which nice. i think is quite nice and it's delicious oat milk so shout out to my minor figures very nice <laughs> amazing <laughs> they've also um there's a, a shoe company called Allbirds. yes and the way that they show their carbon um they show all the carbon in a single pair of shoes making it really relatable and clear mm-hmm. so obviously it's a carbon footprint because it's a shoe company <laughs> absolute no-brainer absolute gene absolute uh, gift for the commerce yeah. team gift <laughs> but they they go through each of the um like the transportation manufacturing the use um the materials but they also include end of life which so few brands do yes so like so, seeing that whole product from the whole stage everything that goes into it and all of that journey and what the carbon footprint is for that shoe mm-hmm. and I'd be really interested to know, and I, I, I haven't done the research, but mm-hmm. if they publish anything or if they know stuff around, if people are actively making choices of, oh, that shoe has 9.9 mm-hmm. CO2 equivalent of carbon in it, therefore I want to buy shoes that have less. Or I was going to say, until, yeah, until more companies, it's a bit like, um, yeah, until more companies show that, then you can't really judge whose is better or worse right but actually by revealing it it's saying this is what we're doing and then you hope other companies reveal so that people can then make that 
measurement. It's a bit like the um, nutrition wheel on food. Yes. It's like, I, yeah, I, you don't know until people that became legalized and legalized. That's not the word I mean, do I? A legal requirement. <laughs> until that became a legal requirement, there was nothing to benchmark across to think, oh, well, that has more fat than that, or that has more salt than that. Um, and I think actually it was an idea that we talked about and uh, a lovely friend Jess talked about as well as could we ever invent the impact wheel um, so that it became as tangible for people to, in a like flash of an eye, be able to think, ah, okay, well, that shoe uh, is less, um, has admits more at that stage or emits less at that stage. Um, so, yeah, until you have many of them, it's actually impossible to compare and contrast and make a kind of consumer decision on that. But more brands showing they're willing to be transparent is exciting. Definitely. I guess. And I guess I know another company I know called Provenance, who I'm sure you know too, um, which is all about building trust and proof back sustainability messages. So I think they used to do a lot of blockchain stuff and supply chain stuff. And then they realized the work that they were doing could be useful across loads of products. I think they now work mainly in beauty and fashion, um, but help to how to help people uh, kind of reveal their supply chain and work through that and then say, well, because we know clearly along our supply chain, like this Allbirds thing, we then know what impact we're having along the line. So then we can make clear, um, verified uh, claim, not claims, clear, verified facts rather than marketing claims. Um, with the detail, obviously you don't have to look into all the detail, but the detail is there if you're a consumer and you wanted to see it, you can look back into the provenance of that and see at what stage um, things occurred. Yeah, I, I've come across provenance before. I think one of the things they do is flag um, uh, that there's verified carbon offsetting, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. and like I feel like offsetting is a whole yeah separate episode perhaps <laughs> because within um the pe people across i think uh the environmental movement are so divided yeah in terms of uh whether offsetting is the right approach or not because mm -hmm. it could be seen as um you're not changing anything you're literally just basically dumping your garbage somewhere else <laughs> yeah i was thinking this through earlier in kind of human connection and this might be a terrible analogy and i if it is i'll never do analogies on the podcast again i promise <laughs> but it's almost like having a friend who you're like i treat that friend badly <laughs> relentlessly but because occasionally on their birthday and things i do nice things then that makes it okay um rather than <laughs> having first place thing oh maybe I should change my behavior and just treat my friend better throughout the year that's yeah, basically that is, offsetting isn't it offsetting is that, like hitting with one hand and then somewhere else going okay actually uh I because I did a bad thing I'll do a good thing rather than thinking ultimately I'd kind of like to be a do a good thing more regularly exactly the difference is at some stage maybe your friend will forgive you yes but that planet's burning. <laughs> we do, yeah. Our, our planet's on fire, and there's yeah. only a finite amount. We haven't experienced that finite amount, but it's not endless. Yeah, yeah. And I think well, maybe we can pack package offsetting with your tree planting episode because I oh, think yeah. that's quite a, that's quite a common offset, isn't it? Is a company doing something terribly awful and then telling you they're planting trees somewhere? Um, yeah. So yeah, to be continued offsetting in trees. <laughs> 
Yes. Actually, talking burning trees, I could probably highlight something I need to desperately look into is actually um, this, I guess, the beginnings of kind of carbon capture and carbon removal, um, because I'm... I guess that is like the next stage, isn't it? If rather than offsetting and if we are using the human analogy of doing better from the very beginning, that that's probably where quite a lot of innovation is going to start to come from. So, for example, I can talk about my wood burner anxiety. So we have just <laughs> fitted a wood burner this week and that has been hugely worrying for me I guess because you know there's they're increasingly now which is good laws of certain things you can and cannot burn in your wood burner but ultimately I am will be burning things and we've looked into that and how best um you know I'm burning trees to emit emissions so if we're thinking about the carbon back to analogies if we're thinking about me burning wood uh and then thinking oh well I'm burning wood and doing something bad here uh, but I will say I'm going to plant however many trees a year, so then I'll, my conscience will be clear, rather than actually thinking, okay, are there things that I could look into from, I guess, the uh, stove that you buy, but also the carbon capture or removal of things like that. And until it's sort of, I was talking to my friend about it, it's like until it's illegal, totally illegal to burn, then does innovation get slightly hampered because um, you aren't... Um, having to do anything differently whereas once someone says you can't and you could have a carbon capture on your chimney or something instead um then when will people kind of what makes people make that final decision and i think we're close to people saying oh no we're not going to burn that kind of fuel at all but yeah it's still possible to buy wood burners so as a consumer that is still a purchase that i made so wood banner anxiety will continue <laughs> <laughs> I think you're not alone in that and the thought process of trying to work this out my husband and I had this when we were moved to Canada and we're like mm -hmm. do we get a car what's the worst kind of car to get what's the best kind of car to get do we get a secondhand mm. electrical vehicle or do we get a newer electrical vehicle like there's there's just so yeah. many decisions and trade-offs that you have to make mm -hmm. um right so that's a lot yeah, it's a lot. More than enough of a primer on carbon, on COP, <laughs> and on um, how you can make it more uh, consumer-friendly and mm. something that isn't hidden under greenwash of marketing. Um, we always said we'd end our episodes with ideas that the world needs. And yeah. by sharing my idea, I'm probably revealing how much <laughs> I rely on legislation and yeah. how much I change to happen. Mm -hmm. But... Um, an idea that I've had for ages and I would love if people who listen have the ability to help enact this change, mm -hmm. but, um, mandatory climate change education as part of the curriculums in schools. So you see over time curriculum evolves, you know, you've got coding now becoming the biggest part of it that kids are learning. And I think that the education system needs to change to reflect the biggest pressing issues and not climate change be a bolt-on to social studies or be a bolt-on to geography. Yeah. Um, I remember years ago, I was working on a project with the Department for Education in the UK, and it was on introducing T-levels, which were technical levels, so replacing A-levels. And as part of the immersion process, when we were talking to stakeholders and learning more about what some education reform looked like, we were told it takes 10 to 15 years to, take, to change the curriculum. 
Wow. And I remember thinking at the time, we don't have that, (laughs) especially with climate change, especially with skills gap. Um, So yeah, some form of a mandatory climate change module in schools is the idea that I think should be implemented. Yeah, should be. So if there's anyone out there that can help us, we're game. Yeah. And I guess that brings us brings us to the end for today. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for listening in for a more technical episode than usual, but we thought we'd take the opportunity to talk carbon um, ahead of COP. Great. And we look forward to having you tune in next week. Yeah. Have a good week, everyone. See you soon. Bye. Bye.